The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the battle for the throne is on. Microsoft just a few billion dollars away from overtaking Apple's market cap, but which stock is a better buy? Top technician will tell us what the charts are saying, and the answer might surprise you. Plus, the man who called the November sell-off is back. Mark Yusko of Morgan Creek Capital explains why he thinks it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But we start with President Trump and the markets. Seems like he's got the whole world, or at least the whole market in his hands. The president is gearing up for trade talks with China at the G20 meeting with tougher rhetoric. He's thrown Apple into the mix this week with talks of smartphone tariffs. And now he is taking on General Motors over the company's job cuts and plant closures. Is President Trump the biggest threat to the market? And if so, how much damage could he actually cause guy i think he creates the most volatility for the market i don't think he's the biggest threat to the market i think there are other threats i think europe is a threat tim's pointed that out i think a fed that seems steadfast to continue to move in my opinion correctly so is a threat but i think what's happened with president trump and if you start to think about it he's it's all about wins and losses and he has said himself that the stock market is one of the things that he looks as a win so this stock market that is now basically flat for the year that's had a rough month month and a half one has to ask, into year-end, is he going to allow this market to go down? My sense is no, and I'm sort of reversing course a little bit because I don't think the Chinese are in a rush to make a deal. But you could come out of this weekend and have something to the lines of, we had very constructive talks with the Chinese. President Xi and I are great friends. We love each other very much. We have a path to move forward. And I think that might be enough to make the market go higher. I'll say this. The market should have been down today after all that Apple rhetoric yesterday. And the fact that it recovered as well as it did is somewhat encouraging. Yeah, yeah I mean, every time that we have a market that's down because of trade, all of a sudden a mysterious rumor comes out of the White House that things are going better than expected. So I think a lot of the fear of trade is priced into the market in the short term. We can talk about what the long-term effects are at a different time. But in the short term, the market's priced in a lot of fear. And to Guy's point, it would only take a little bit of positive news to get this market going. So I think just the opposite. The way the market's set up, the way things have sold out, and the way that the market's ignored other news, to me, means one little bit of positive news coming out of the G20, and you could actually have a rally off the lows here. Joker, joker, and a triple, <laughs> because I'm having trouble saying anything different than either of these guys. I think the market traded great today. I mean, the S&P ended up uh, higher after a very strong move over the last couple days. And in fact, we've had headlines that haven't been terribly trade constructive. I actually respect the White House. Larry Cuddle was out there saying, hey, look, this president's doing things that, you know, four or five other administrations on both sides of the aisle have done nothing to go after. To me, that's digging in the heels. Whether, you know, Apple's a trade war stock, which has been a topic, I, I, I don't think so. And GM, as as a, as a, a company that's going to also, on some level, be part of the political process now, not too worried about that either. I think you had oversold conditions. The most important thing that happened today was Fed Vice Chair Clarida got out there and basically said, we might be closer to neutral than we thought. Um, that's my interpretation, but my sense is that this is a Fed that is showing you that they might be a little bit more thoughtful on their aggressive Some side. might take a look at, though, what, what 
President Trump and the administration is threatening GM and say, you know what, this had been a president that was regarded as a very pro-business kind of president, right? right? Yeah. And here we are. He's singling a company out. Kind he says, I don't he's been like, doing that for I two don't, years. Except, yeah. except, except, except that this is the first time that he's actually said, you know, we might pull something away from the company. We might yeah. actually take money back from the company that we don't His rhetoric, I think, though, Mel, Mel, we're seeing less and less reaction out of the actual words that come out from the president now. And now I think what we're seeing is, and by the way, I thought the interesting part of today was we've talked about this for a while now. We haven't seen people come in to buy these down markets. We were down 150, 160 points right out of the gate this morning, and suddenly yep. buyers stepped in. As a matter of fact, in the options world, we had some huge buys in the spiders and other individual names, including names, not Apple, but Microsoft and some of these names over the last couple of days. So I think it's a little encouraging that people are willing to say, you know what, I want to be back in the market. It seems to me like we're starting to finally see a little bit of that. Maybe not a lot, but we didn't see a huge spike in volatility either. Last week, last Tuesday, we were at a 23 VIX. You know where we were today? When the market was off 160, we were still under 20. And then we finished right around that 19 level, somewhere in there. So it tells me that, yes, there's still volatility in the market. Yes, we're getting some pretty extreme moves intraday. But the interesting thing is for me today was there were buyers when we were down. So we're all pretty constructive on what's been going on, which means the exact opposite is really the danger here, right? So if you come out of the G20 meeting with absolutely no deal and, hey, we're going to raise tariffs, and then all of a sudden the Fed says, you know what, we're not done. Things, the economy's ripping. We're going to raise all But don't all you feel the Fed from the Fed? I don't think they're going to do it, is what I'm saying. I was going to say, yeah. because what we heard today, the Fed basically, they don't want to get politicized. And, we'll, and, we'll hear Powell tomorrow. Yeah. And they didn't want to be put into a corner, but they are. I mean... What, what do we all I, think and know is going to happen in December? Right. That's why I'm saying going to if, be that if for some reason, reason, which I think there's a low probability. I think they're going to raise it one going quarter, no matter what. And then, and then, then, then they go back to the whole idea Data of, hey, we're a daddy-dependent. Right. You know, we're seeing some slowdown and all the rest that's of that. The that's the dovish scenario, which I think is the most probable one. If they come out and say anything different, though, then you have to run for the hill. But the trade thing is interesting because if they come out and say nothing, I mean, has the market actually risen thinking that they're going to say something? Because then I would say that if they come out and say on nothing, trade. then Sorry. yeah, on trade, yeah, specifically on G20, then nothing happens with the markets. It's sort I, of like if, eh. if, if they don't. But my point is, I got. I have to believe that President Trump is laser focused on the stock market. He himself has said that it is a report card for the administration. I can't believe they will allow this to continue much longer. And if he can come out, even if nothing's been agreed to, if he comes out and just says again, you know, President Xi and I have a great relationship, we're great friends, we think the world of each other, we have a path to move forward, that might be enough to get this market higher. I, I think also, you know, let's not forget, we had a historic Cyber Monday. We've had actually excellent holiday sales. We've been reminded that the consumer is in very good shape, leaving aside the jobs that are lost in a couple plants at GM. And I don't mean to be insensitive to those job losses. I'm sure they're tragic for those families. But the bottom line is people are employed and people are making more money in this economy than they have in a long time. Mm -hmm. Inflation is not run away. You've actually gotten some relief from energy prices. And this is a, a backdrop that actually right now sets you in a different mindset for a market that was very oversold. And I think, frankly, stocks had given up a lot. I feel like the sales that we're seeing is a little bit rearview mirror in that all of the sales that are being made are on, on inventory that was brought in prior to the impact of yes. the tariffs. We do not have any impact of the tariffs whatsoever on any of the goods that are being bought right now because it was pulled forward. So when there is a price increase because of the tariffs, if there is going to be price increases out there for the tariffs, how will that impact consumer sentiment right. and sales? And, and that's what I think. When I say that we saw all sorts of paper and people actually coming in to buy today, mm -hmm. Mel, I think people are really playing this G20, figuring something positive will really? come out of it. That's what, The short-term... 
I've never seen How this How binary short. were those bets? Oh, unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm talking one week out, two week out type mm-hmm. options, which when you consider it, what are they playing for? They're playing for the G20. Well, our next guest called the November sell-off, and he says it's going to get even worse before it gets better. Mark Yusko is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Creek Capital Management. Um, Mark, great to see you in person this time. No, great to be here, and I see the rose amongst the thorns here. (laughs) And I'm about to skunk at the garden party. (laughs) So how much worse? Look, I, I, I told you, you know, a couple months ago when we first got together in October that we're just starting. And I think it's a long path between now and and 2020. I think this year is going to continue to melt slowly, like a melting ice cube. I think next year with the economic slowdown, it gets worse, probably double-digit drawdown. And the big year is 2020 when the credit bubble starts to blow up. What what is the credit bubble right now? I mean, what do you see brewing as a credit bubble? Just every company has binged on cheap debt. They've over-levered. They're... 14% 14% of companies in the S&P can't service their debt with the next three years EBITDA. Not pay off their debt, can't service their debt. So we're going to see a lot of defaults, just like 2002 with Enron and WorldCom, and I think it's going to get ugly. 14% of the companies in the S&P 500 can't service their debt. With three years with of EBITDA. three years of EBITDA. Crazy. Zombie companies. And that's project, I mean, is that enough debt, though, in the whole world of, of debt? To make an impact? Yeah, we've never had this level of zombification. We had 6%, 8% back in 2000, 2008. Never had 14. It's bad. One third of companies in the Russell 2000 don't make money. What stress scenario, though, do you run in order to project out the three years of EBITDA that will yield you those results? Well, I mean, those I mean what are, are your assumptions there? Those are the company's own forecasts of their okay. current run rate EBITDA. Right. So, yeah, you know, I'm. I'm I can't talk specifically about any of those individual companies, but the key now is that we're in a situation where economic growth is clearly slowing, global trade is falling off a cliff. We know three things. We know global trade drives global profits, global profits drives global stock prices. And we have an administration that believes that tariffs and trade wars are bullish. And I got two words, Smoot-Hawley. And it's been a long time since we thought trade wars were bullish. We thought so in the 1930s. It turned a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. Now, I don't think we're going into Great Depression. I do think we're going to have a garden variety recession. And I think that means equity prices are too high. I don't think the Fed's actually going to pause. I think the Fed's going to keep raising to get rates normalized, reload the gun. And I think all of that kind of comes together to be a really bad environment for risk assets. So, Mark, you're talking about the next... 12 to 18 yeah. months, it sounds like, which is fine. We're talking about probably the next 12 days, which is also oh. fine. So may I, quickly, if, Good if there was a some sort of accord or some sort of handshake moment from this meeting at the G20, yeah. what does that mean in your opinion? Because some of the biggest rallies happen in the market you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, just what you guys were describing. Uh, a big short-covering rally is clearly possible. Uh, there's a lot of short interest out there, particularly in some of the really bad names that have gone down a lot. People are piling on. So I don't disagree with that at all. And seasonally, you know, this time of year is actually pretty interesting for that because what happens is back in 1986, they changed the laws. It used to be the end of the year was the end of the year. And we had the January effect. People would sell at the, you know, December and they'd buy back in January. That got changed to October 31st. So all mutual funds, big funds have to sell by October 31st. So they usually sell by October 15th or so. After November 15th, they can buy back to avoid wash sale rules. 
So now that January effect is happening in December. So I agree, there's risk of a little melt up here. So Mark, your scenario plays out over the next two years. You don't want to be in risk access. Yeah. Where do people put their money? Look, I, tell love, me it's Bitcoin, because well, I know you like that too. It's definitely Bitcoin, and I'll come back to Bitcoin. I'm even wearing my Bitcoin gold equivalents <laughs> tie and my orange socks. But it's definitely Bitcoin. But the key is, first place to hide is carbs. Right. So I did this. I got challenged to do this half marathon and I was on the whole keto diet before. And it was all about carbs to get ready for this race. Carbs are China, Argentina, Russia, Brazil, South Korea. So emerging markets, since we were together on October 11th, you know, Facebook is down 12 percent. Amazon's down 12 percent. I think um, Netflix is down 24 percent. Apple's down 22 percent. Emerging markets are actually up fractionally. So emerging markets are really, really cheap. I think that's one place to hide. I think you can also hide in MLPs. Great cash flows, rising volumes, great yields, and the yields protect you if you're wrong by about eight or 10% because you're getting about 8% yields. So I like MLPs place to hide. Bitcoin, love it long-term. Look, I was wrong, okay? Completely wrong on the impact of futures on Bitcoin prices. I thought because they were cash settled, that you couldn't get rehypothecation and put artificial pressure, like we see in the gold market or the silver market, I was wrong. You're seeing rehypothecation, that's putting a lot of pressure, and you see on those expiration dates right before the futures expire, lots of pressure on those down days. So I was wrong. But as we get more usage going forward and people buy into this idea that it is a store of value, increasing use cases, we're trading $4.6 billion a day of Bitcoin versus five years ago, sub a uh, couple hundred million. So huge increase in usage, long-term on big bull. What's long-term? What kind of time horizon do you need to have? You yeah. bought Bitcoin today. Well, buying today, look, if you're buying today, I think you don't have to have a very long time horizon at all to make a nice return. I look at it like this. Over a decade, I think you can make 20 times plus your money. Really do. I think it's one of the few asset classes where you have that asymmetric, asymmetric risk profile uh, or return profile. I think over any one year period, it's tough to tell because it has to do with how many people come into the network. Because mm-hmm. what people have to understand about Bitcoin is it's a network. It's not a company. And if you think about today, five of the biggest companies in the world are networks. Mm-hmm. Apple's a network, Facebook's a network. And networks don't grow based on economic growth, interest rates, and profits. They grow on technology changes, regulatory changes. We just saw Jay Clayton up here talking about across the street at Consensus, talking about how, look, if you break the securities laws, we're going to punish you. If you don't, if you play in a place like Bitcoin, we deem a currency, we'll leave you alone. I think that's fantastic. Mark, thank you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me very much. A Morgan Creek asset. All right, so where do we go? Uh, well, first of all, Mark's been doing it a long time. You should listen to Mark. It's interesting because he's scared about risk out, you know, somewhere in the future. But in the short term, those are all, you know, risky asset classes. But I agree, emerging markets have outperformed by 6% since the lows on October 4th. MLPs, actually, these companies are being run better. Those are yields that you can hold on to, and they're not going out of business. I like MLPs. All right, coming up, check out shares of Salesforce soaring after earnings. We will tell you what the CEO just told Jim Cramer moments ago about the quarter. Plus, it is the battle of the century, Microsoft Edge its way to become the most valuable company in America as it tries to push Apple from the top spot. But which is the better buy? The traders weigh in. And if you're worried there's no trade deal in sight, Pete Najarian here has one tariff-free stock. He says is about to break out. His fast pitch is coming up. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. 
Welcome back to Fast. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. We've got an earnings alert on Salesforce. The stock, as you see there, jumping after its earnings report, driven by revenue growth in its sales and service cloud business. Jim Cramer just spoke to CEO Mark Benioff. Here's what he had to say. We see hitting our big goal, which is $22-23 billion in revenue within two fiscal years by fiscal year 22. And to now tighten that up, here we are, we're giving fiscal year 20 guidance for the first time at $16 billion. We are really excited. Salesforce remains the fastest growing enterprise software company of all time. That's incredible. As of the market close, the stock was sitting in a bear market after getting hammered here. But we do see in the after-hour session up 7%. So, Pete, where do you go here? Well, they absolutely went after this name. And if you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when you look at the valuations of this name, it's still extremely high. You go forward, it's still extremely high. But you got to love the presence of Mark Benioff, I think. I think he's one of the better CEOs out there, particularly in the tech world. I love the fact that they continue to raise as they go looking forward to 2019. This is the second quarter in the row where they've bumped that up a little bit more. So... It's impressive what they're doing, Mel, but you know what? We get any pressure on the market and technology starts to feel that pressure again. That name is one of the names they're going to come after. So I would be hesitant to jump in here at 136. They, they will, and I love right. the name. I mean, but. the stock went from, to your point, or 160 to 120 mm-hmm. in seemingly a blink of an eye. And then all of a sudden people didn't care about valuation, all right. of a sudden cared about it. Maybe correctly so. But then you look at the quarter and you see 28% year-over-year billings growth, which is pretty ridiculously strong, and operating margins close to 17%. The street was probably 14 and a half. So they're able to continue to grow, improve margins. It's a really good company. In a benign environment, you buy this. To Pete's point, if you're scared about technology, I don't know. If you're asking me to pick, I say you get long the stock right here. It, what's been proven in this last, say, two to three month period, especially in the triple Qs, is that companies that are priced for growth when there's less Future. growth for whatever perception there is, whether it's regulation, whether it's competition catching up to them, and I think in Salesforce case, even though they're ahead of the competition, you can't assume a trailing 98 multiple is going to do well in this environment. So, uh, like my... Uh, my friends here, I have to say, be careful. There's so much um, conviviality. I know. Here yeah, you know what? I, I, I totally disagree. You're I totally think you buy this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, Listen, wow. they've, got, they've got great earnings growth, which has thank been you. the case forever. We just talked about the fact that we could get some positive news. We get a market rally. So why wouldn't I want to buy something with Mark Benioff as a CEO? The worst thing to do is to go against him over the last several years. You've had this sell-off. Now I've got a growing company. Sure, the valuation's a little high. But if we get a market More than a little, here, though. Well, yeah. More than a little. Okay, but I so mean, is it's Netflix, extreme. right? It makes so NVIDIA look cheap, right? Okay, it, but so is Netflix and Amazon. Those are all going to rally. I agree that if we get a tech sell-off, yeah, this is going to baby with the bathwater. But we're talking about the potential for a short-term rally here. I think this you is where you get it. It's up what? 7% here, in the after hours. There it. you go. Yeah, but Enjoy it's down that. from 160. All right. You got room. For Jim Cramer's so much full conviviality. Yeah. So much for that. We should have split them up. <laughs> uh, for the full interview with Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff, you can tune into Mad Money Top of the Hour, 6 p.m. Eastern. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win. You die. Okay, calm down, Cersei. But Apple and Microsoft are neck and neck competing to be the most valuable company in America. And a top technician says the answer is in one simple chart. He will explain. 
Plus, Pete Nigerian is stepping up to the plate, and he's got one stock he says is sheltered from the trade war woes. He'll give us his tariff-free fast pitch when Fast Money returns, right after this. It is big tech. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Battle for the throne as Microsoft is just inches away from stealing. You guys are terrible. From stealing Apple's crown as the market's most valuable company, our very own Dom Chu's back in the newsroom to break it down for us. Dom. Well, Melissa, it's about as heavy as heavyweight battles get. The two biggest publicly traded companies in the land battling each other for that market cap supremacy. It's been Apple for as long as many can remember, but Microsoft has won the last few rounds, if you want to keep the boxing analogy. So here's how things stand. Apple, given today's close, now worth around $827 billion. Microsoft, given the fact that it had an up day, is now worth around $822 billion. So the crown, for now, still belongs to the iPhone giant. But just a few bucks here and there on stock price, and we could swing that balance back towards Microsoft. At each company's respective peak market value, Apple still has all the bragging rights, having surpassed that big $1 trillion mark. And it was on October 3rd. It was worth around north of $1.1 trillion. That was the peak market cap for Apple. Meanwhile, Microsoft, which also hit a record high on that same day, is worth around $892 billion at that point. But Apple's recent woes have cost it about a quarter of its market value since those highs, while Microsoft has held up relatively well, shedding only around 8% of its value. Now, both companies are mature tech giants that are trying to get investors to focus more on faster growing parts of the business, like, say, services at Apple or the cloud business, Azure at Microsoft. So, Melissa, which relative value trade will investors buy more into? That's the big question. Back over to you guys. All right. Thanks, Dom. Dom Chu in the newsroom. So this is actually the perfect time to play a little. Would you rather? Would you rather? Apple or Microsoft? Tim, what do you say? Uh, at these levels, for sure, Apple. And, and this has been a heavyweight battle, and there's been different periods where, you know, Joe Frazier has actually taken on Muhammad Ali in one and vice versa. Look, we're down 45% uh, Apple to Microsoft over the last, call it, two and a half years. So, actually, it's closer to four years, excuse me. Uh, I think in the short term here, Apple has been punished in a way that is probably not deserving relative to what we thought of this company three months ago. Apple, absolutely. I couldn't decide where you would go on it's this It's impossible one, for me to answer, and I'll, wow. give you, I'll, I'll give you my first you answer, and then to. I'll try to figure it out. But uh, I added to Apple last week. Okay. I added to Microsoft today. So I don't know where that puts me on this whole thing, because I think both of them, 
And, and Dom laid it out perfectly, by the way. They have the, the areas of where the growth is. You've got services on the one side, you've got the cloud on the other side. And what you really want to focus on, because we know there are legacy businesses that are actually slowing. So that's a fact. So it's a matter of which one do you pick. I would have to go with Apple if I had to pick one. Pick one, Pete. That's, that's the game. The game. I on, know, man. but it, I it, just added the waffling. I mean, but the reason I said Apple, Apple is how many would you beat the Waffle House, house right now, here's, guys? Here's the What's only your bigger position? I mean, What's your bigger position? Apple and the, and the longest I've had of all, all right. my stuff. But so I would say there. this about Apple. There the interesting go. thing <laughs> is these guys still have the cash. They both have cash. Apple's got more. Where do you go in the battle for the throne, well, guys? Well, it's funny battle you say that because my kids were home this weekend for Thanksgiving, and that's in our house. All weekend it was a battle for the yeah, throne. I'm just, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a big house, as you for know. For Apple versus Microsoft. Apple, at these levels, Apple. And listen, I think, and it's something occurred to me last night I was going home in the traffic. I said, you know, it's funny. President Trump went after Boeing and Lockheed Martin, yes. and that proved to be the bottom in both of those stocks. Mm -hmm. He went after Pfizer earlier in the spring at 37. That wound up being the bottom of that stock, uh -huh. and I'm saying to myself, hmm, he's going after Apple now with this tariff stuff. Maybe he just put in the bottom for AAPL. Can so, I ask you uh, a question? Yes, you may. Just Why do you think about that in the car ride home? Why not in deliver that information on the show? I'm not that bright, because it takes a while for the synapse. Are you to going fire. to think in the traffic on the way home that he marked the bottom for GM? GM's a horse of a different color. Okay, I mean, not so like, I think, you know, it's interesting we want you to say that's from the Wizard of Oz. No, I said Wait, it last night. I said, Mel, I'm yes. concerned that this president, there are going to be some tape bombs coming from President Trump. Right. I don't think it'll be the next day. Yeah. And look at his tweet today. Yeah, tape bomb. All right, well, let's go back to the Battle of the Throne, settle it with the charts. Our next guest says one of these two tech giants has got the edge. Mark Newton of Newton Advisors is at the plasma to break it down. Hey, Mark. Hi there. Thanks very much. So let's take a look at these. What is better technically right now? One has fallen over 20% over the last three months. The other is down only about 8%, Apple versus Microsoft. Initially, we see Apple, after having pulled back all the way down here, over $54. Now we're right near a longer-term area of trend line support. So this is interesting at a time when you look at relative strength has also gotten quite oversold. We're also down to near 33 on weekly relative strength. So that's really the lowest we've seen in Apple since really early part of 2016. So the fact is we have a longer term uptrend. We've pulled back very violently down to a level which should really offer some support. When you take a look at Microsoft, it's really a completely different picture in how this looks. Microsoft has been incredibly resilient. So you take a look at this stock, and we, we haven't even broken down hardly at all compared to how Apple is traded. Apple's down 20%, this is down 8%. From a longer term perspective, Microsoft still has a lot of appeal because it still is right near all-time highs. We're only down about $10 from the all-time high. Momentum, as you see, is about middle of the road, but on a monthly basis, you're up in the mid-70s. So a lot depends on your time frame. If you're short-term in nature, uh, Apple, to me, is a better choice from a trading perspective. You can buy it at 174 If you note today, bad news on Apple, it could have gone down. It's up almost $3 from where it opened today, 171.5. It closed over 174 as Guy was saying earlier, a lot of this bad news, I think, is starting to get priced into this stock when it's gotten very oversold. From a trading perspective, Apple could go from 174 to 200 or so. That's about you know, a 50% move from where it's gone. And the downside is probably right near 160. Microsoft, on the other hand, you need to see more signs of material deterioration. On a longer term basis, Microsoft has started to wane a little bit. And uh, that is a concern we're looking over the last couple of years. The NASDAQ is the last chart. Let's take a look at what's happening to big cap tech. Just in the last couple days, we've seen this trend line from early November get exceeded. What does that mean? Well, tech has obviously been quite out of favor since really the middle part of June. 
Uh, now you're starting to see small, slow but sure evidence of tech trying to carve its way back. We saw that in healthcare in August. We saw it in financials over the last couple of weeks. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing technology start to stabilize and trade better. Tech was actually one of three sectors that was positive in the last five days. So for those that are poo-pooing tech and everybody has turned against these stocks at a time when they become trade war stocks, sentiment has gotten very negative. Many have gotten oversold. Now you're starting to see signs of, of, uh, of growling back. So for my nickel, you know, when it comes down to it, Microsoft is the better long-term play right now until you see evidence of that starting to turn down. For my, but I would actually buy Apple here thinking the stock could have a little bit better upside in the months to come. In terms of the, of the turn that you're seeing in the NASDAQ 100, Mark, does that necessarily mean that you see a turn in the FANG stocks? Because one of the knocks on the NASDAQ had always been that it was such narrow leadership that led it higher. It was narrow leadership also that led it lower. So are we seeing that leadership turn around? No, I think you're absolutely right. And so, you know, there are charts that we could look at from an equal weight perspective of, of tech in general starting to gradually improve. Um, a lot of this, many people have thrown these stocks into the same category uh, for a lot of the right reasons, but many of them have been punished. Obviously, Apple more so than others. I, I think that Apple really and Facebook are two stocks where the sentiments turn. They've gotten very oversold and it's time for them to turn up. Other ones like Microsoft are in, in far better shape, uh, obviously in a different category. All right, Mark, thank you. Good to see you. Mark Newton you. of Newton Advisors at the Plasma. Um, where Battle of the Throne. We're back yeah. to that. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I think if, if you want to <laughs> consider the, the, the dialogue we have about the market that's breaking down and those stocks that are just holding things up or just an eventuality waiting to happen, that was Apple. I have to believe that great news in Microsoft is absolutely priced in. I still think that there is overall pressure on the tech sector. Therefore, again, Apple over Microsoft. Okay. Still ahead. Bitcoin's epic crash this year has investors running for cover, but our own BK says just par for the crypto course, he will explain. Plus, as trade uncertainties rise, Pete Nigerian has one stock, he says, can weather any type of tariff tantrum. We got the name when fast money returns. What just happened? Well, it was supposed to be a shotgun and guy kind of slipped in the shotgun. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Now, back in September, Pete stepped up to the plate and pitched Intel. This is a company that still has growth, has great earnings, great revenue, and I think going forward, they will outperform. By the way, when you can buy a stock off of its highs, significantly off its highs, that gives you a little bit something in a market that's trading at all-time highs. I think Intel actually has plenty of room to the upside. I think Pete's wearing the same tie. I like that uh, tie and shirt combination. Apparently you do. Apparently tan. you love it. That okay, the broader market's at top a few days after as the Fed trade jitters and the tech wreck hit investors. But Intel is actually up 5% since Pete's pitch. So what now? What do you Still do? Still love the Intel? name. Had some huge buyers in there today, Mel. And this is a company that's hanging around without a CEO in place. At some point, I think they will make the right decision. I think it comes from within. When they do that, I think that actually gives the stock a little more stability, more to the upside. Okay, well, with trade uncertainties looming, Pete says that yep. there's a stock that he has that can weather any sort of tariff tantrum. So why don't you head over to the plasma and right. your best pitch. Here we go. Guys, you know what? You're trying to avoid the whole tariff issues and you want to figure out where you go. How about if I tell you you go to U.S. Bank right mm. out of Minneapolis, Minnesota? That's where I'm going. I did this just a couple weeks ago. I bought this stock. And here are... A lot of the reasons that I bought it, we're going to cover right here. The CEO himself, now, 
Andrew Ciceri, who's now the present CEO, has been at the company since 1985. By the way, Minnesota School of Business, Carlson School of Business. This guy's really sharp, MBA, fantastic guy. And he was underneath Richard Davis. He was the COO under Richard Davis, who had been there for a dozen years as well. This is a very solid company. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They like to stay out of the news, and they seem to continue to be a very strong company. I like the fundamental stories. Oh, by the way, the only big bank to win most ethical award, and they've done it now four consecutive years. Very, very impressive. They're doing everything right in terms of the C-suite upstairs. When you look at this company from a fundamental perspective, 100% of their revenues is coming from the United States. That's pretty great. By the way, they have bought back their own stock, and they are not doing this as, a, as some sort of a, a, a ploy. They've been doing this forever, but in the last five years, they've actually bought back 11% of their share count. That's pretty impressive. And I love a company with growth. They still have growth. You look at the revenue growth, you look at what they're doing in terms of all different aspects. This last quarter, they had growth. Now, loan growth, that is a little bit slow right now, but it's slow for everybody. We all understand that. People are still trying to figure out their way around with these interest rates and where they are. But this is a company that, to me, it's solid, it's strong, pays a nice dividend, and they have a great balance sheet. When you look at Tier 1, these guys are as good as it gets. Here's a little bit of a look at the chart right now. There's some upside, but you can see, not a lot of danger owning this stock. I like this name. I got a quick question. May I sure. ask Pedro yes, a question? Yeah. Well done, by the way. I like the way you got the Carlson. It's a nice pitch from Minnesota. But my Carlson. question would be, you know, trade's now close to two times book value. Does valuation become a concern at all? You know what? I understand exactly what you're saying, Guy. And yes, that's something. I, that's why I don't know necessarily that there's a monstrous upside right now. And I'm not talking about a hideout, but I like the fundamental side of this story. But you're right. We talk about the banks all the time. We talk about that multiple. Two times, is that a little bit on the high end? Absolutely it is. But I think they deserve that because of what the fundamental story is telling us. And they don't have what Wells Fargo has and a lot of the other banks. They don't seem to make those mistakes publicly out there. All right, let's vote. Are you buying or selling Pete's pitch on U.S. Bancorp, Tim? You know, look, I, I, I'm sorry, Pete, because this is a high-quality company, but hold means sell in this game, and I'm going to have to hold on this one. They've outperformed the BKX by almost 1,000 basis points. Good for them. Bad for picking the stock now. Great B- job, though. BK. Yeah, you made a great pitch there, but the only time that BK buys duty-free is at the airport. I'm just not. The problem is the banks have not performed in the best wow. scenario. I can't imagine they're going to perform coming up. Key. Yeah, well, I'm going to go the other way and say this is a big Buffett name. He just increased by 25%. He's got about 125 million shares. And, and, and if the banks do underperform, U.S. Bank Corp. is actually a company that will do better given their conservative bend. So I'm with uh, Pedro over there. By the way, you at home can vote. You can go to our Twitter handle at CNBC Fast Money. We do have a news alert we want to get to. President Trump making new comments about Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Let's get to John Harwood in D.C. for all the details. John. Well, so President Trump's continuing his pattern of blaming bad news on other people. So we've had some turbulence in the markets. We've had the layoffs by uh, General Motors that were announced yesterday that so angered the White House. And the president now in an interview with The Washington Post has said, uh, I'm doing deals and I'm not being accommodated by the Fed. They're making a mistake because I have a gut and my gut tells me more sometime than anybody else's brain can ever tell me. I'm not even a little bit happy with my selection of Jay Powell, not even a little bit. Of course, uh, Jay Powell is the Federal Reserve Chairman who President Trump put in that job. He's somebody who has signaled that they intend to raise uh, interest rates again and uh, more in 2019. The president uh, says that uh, that is creating economic consequences that hurt him. He's lashing out. 
Uh, John, thank you. John Harwood in Washington, D.C. And of course, this is going to renew talk about the Federal Reserve Act and what powers the president may or may not have to actually remove a Fed chairman. Um, the language apparently in Section 10 is uh, thereafter, each member shall hold office for a term of 14 years unless sooner removed for cause by the president. What is cause? We don't know what that means necessarily. But here the president is expressing some, uh, I don't want to say some even. He doesn't like the guy. <laughs> well, he, he doesn't like the policy because it's yeah. not suiting the economy. And again, if, if the Fed is moving, it means the economy is strong. Let's not get into this, but it seems to be common sense. Um, I, if anything, Guy talked about this. Doesn't this paint the Fed further into a corner? Doesn't this paint the Fed actually into, in, into possibly having to do to defend the integrity of the institution? But what is that corner now? Is that in? corner a hike in December plus a hawkish statement? Or can the corner, I mean, you know, Some, something can you that still shows, have a hike plus a dovish statement? Well, something that shows that the depend. Fed is totally independent of exterior, you know, externalities, and at, at least as they relates to forces and influence, as opposed to economic data. Right. But I, let, let's say they were intending on releasing a dovish statement after the meeting. Are they going to now switch to a hawkish statement? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I, I don't think. I mean, presidents have criticized the Fed for years. Maybe this is harsher than typical or that we're used to. But I don't think that the Federal Reserve, I don't think Jay Powell, I don't think Vice Chairman Clarita is the per type of person that is going to change their mind about the economy because the president's upset. See, I would, it's interesting. Then-candidate Trump was critical of the Fed for keeping rates Yellen. too yeah. low mm -hmm. and creating a bubble and creating a stock market bubble. He was probably correct at the time. I, in my opinion, you can't have it both ways. And again, this, and, and again, What's my in your opinion. Gut? What's in I don't, your gut? My gut is sometimes better than people's brain, but I will say. <laughs> Depends I, on whose brain. I will, <laughs> clearly. Quite a gut. By the way, quite a gut, yeah. You know, I think this Fed <laughs> isn't making a mistake. They're trying to clean up the mistakes of two prior Fed uh, chairs, in my opinion. So I think they're doing everything. If, again, the greatest economy in the history of the public, not my words, the president's, if we can't stand rate hikes to get us back to some semblance of normalcy, then, then maybe we're in worse shape than everybody thinks. I think because Bullard and Clarita had come out already in front of this, I think they actually can smooth sail to where they're going to be going for 2019. Which is a, which is a which more dependent and Yeah, data-dependent. They're going to be looking at things, and they're not going to be influenced by the White House. Now, that being said, I still think they also stick with what they're doing because they don't want people to think they're being manipulated. So I, that's right. why that's, I'm more and more confident if, December if they If the president they elevates this talk about not liking Jay Powell, not liking what the Fed is doing, and there is actually more talk of possibly finding a way of maybe replacing Jerome Powell, what would the market reaction be? I, if, if the it, goal is to keep rates low. If the goal is to keep rates low, you probably have a lower dollar. Your emerging markets would probably rip. And it might not actually be that bad for the, for the stock market. I mean, you look at other countries that have gone down that road where all of a sudden the central bank is, let's call it compromised. Their stock markets rip because their dollar collapses, their currency collapses. Well, let's look at long-term rates here, which because this is the part of the market that the Fed can't control. That's Right now, that's telling you that, first of all, 325 looks like major resistance, and actually 305 is major support right now. If anything, the market is telling you that the economy is running into forces in terms of headwinds to growth, and that actually the economy is not a runaway train, and therefore, maybe that's telling the Fed something as well. Good or bad for the stock market? If, if Powell were to... Powell's removed... But the promise is that the next guy won't raise rates so fast. It's interesting, right? I mean, the knee jerk, I think, is higher. But then I think if people examine what's really going on, if we have an administration that can 
at the whim of a stock market sell-off can replace Fed shares, that to me is somewhat problematic. I think that's longer term extraordinarily bearish. So I go back to the example of GM that we we all dismiss at the top of the show. Not such a big deal that the president goes in and intervenes in, in in a private company and says, basically, we're going to rip away subsidies that the federal government promised you because we don't like what you're doing with jobs. Here he is. I don't like what you're doing with Fed rate hikes. That's that's it's pretty amazing. Is this, it, does this start a pattern here? I, I think to Guy's point. Well, uh, <laughs> I think to Guy's point in terms of how this could play out. I think it, I think you're, you're right. I think the knee jerk would be, well, this is a positive, but longer term. That can't be that, you, that the president can sit there and dictate exactly who's going to be there and how they have to react. Under those circumstances, why even have a Fed chair? Look, it, it's, it's, it's a tough analogy, but, I mean, central bank independence in Turkey is one of the big reasons why that market went in, into you-know-what. Um, I think you have some dynamics here, which the Fed has always, and I think with, Brian has said this well, um, the Fed has endured a lot of pressure from a lot of past presidents, and I think the Fed has held its ground and been allowed to run as an institution. I expect that will continue to happen. I expect this president... Uh, who likes to jawbone, and often it's very effective. Often, you know, he gets what he wants. In this case, my guess is the Fed's going to continue down the road. They always go down. Yeah, so far, this has been all bark and no bite. So until there's some bite, mm-hmm. you have to go to the assumption that the bark is getting happen. louder. Well, maybe, but the it's reaction's getting, up. yeah, the bark's getting louder, but the market reaction's getting less. Mm-hmm. All right. Still ahead, they say the past predicts the future, and that's exactly what could be happening with the chart of Bitcoin. We will explain more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. As the crypto collapse rages on, some of Bitcoin's biggest investors have descended upon New York City to talk all things crypto and blockchain. Our Seema Modi joins us from the NYSC with more on that. Hey, Seema. Hey, Melissa, that's right. A number of big names at the consensus conference weighed in on the crypto collapse today. Allianz's Mohamed Alarian says despite the sharp pullback in cryptocurrencies, they are here to say, saying, quote, I think cryptocurrencies will exist and will become more and more widespread, but they will be part of an ecosystem. They will not they will not be dominant as a lot of the early adopters believe they will be. Now, other market participants recognize the sustained drop in Bitcoin, but didn't seem as concerned about it. Listen in. We uh, uh, price all kinds of things on our exchanges. We set the world's price of oil. We set the world's price of various interest rates. We set the world's price of various commodities. So we're kind of agnostic to price. I mean, we see prices every day moving around. I think about the headlines today. Will Bitcoin, will digital assets survive? And I'd say the unequivocal answer is yes. SEC Chairman Jay Clayton maintains Bitcoin is not a security, but initial coin offerings are. However, on the topic of cryptocurrency ETFs, he warned that the real risk is in the underlying asset. The risk in the ETF is truly the risk in the value of the underlying asset. It's not a risk of theft or disappearance. Bitcoin taking a break from its downward move will up about 1% in today's trade. Melissa, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi from the New York Stock Exchange. All right, so Brian Kelly. That's me. You know, and I said this to Vinny yesterday, Vinny Lingham of Civic, um, that the Bitcoin community on Twitter is very fierce. And so they've <laughs> called you a number of names for being overly bullish. So tell us where you are in Bitcoin right now and how you've traded it through this decline. So I can tell you tr- through the decline, we've had a lot more cash in the fund than we have at any other time. We've probably almost 70 percent cash mm-hmm. at this point in time. That being said, we're getting to a point where it feels more comfortable to start getting into this. 
Um, so, you know, I am a believer in this asset class. I am a believer over the 5, 10, 20-year period that this is going to be a new asset class. But, you know, this is subject to massive booms and busts more than any other asset class out there. So it's important. I can't stress this enough. It's important to size this in your portfolio correctly and appropriately. One to five percent to me sounds like the right number. Then you can ride out these bear markets, which we've had several of. So just to underscore, seventy percent right now of your portfolio is in cash. Is in cash and right non-cryptocurrency. But, right, okay. and that can change very yeah, rapidly. Sure. I'm looking for a point where we get in, get into this. So in terms of catalysts, Jay Klein was talking about the Bitcoin ETF or cryptocurrency ETF, which sounds like it's not going to come anytime soon, as a lot of people had thought it would be, and that that would be a catalyst. Institutional money, we've heard from various people, they're not sure when that's going to be here either. So what is the catalyst that you're looking for? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, we have a couple different catalysts coming up, which potentially the backed launch, uh, which is the NYSE or the ICE uh, launch of futures. Fidelity will have their custody uh, program coming up in January. So that may be something. Um, but we, have, we haven't really seen that catalyst yet. I can tell you, though, we've seen actual institutional inflows. Uh, and you know, I think that over time, again, it might take a bit here, but we're going to start to see interest in this. And we're seeing transactions increase here, which if I saw transactions on the Bitcoin network fall, I'd be worried. Up next, Facebook feeling the heat today. CEO Mark Zuckerberg skips out on a hearing in the UK and traders are betting on more pain ahead. We've got the details in Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook feeling the heat again today and options traders are betting on even more pain to come. Let's get to Mike Coe in San Francisco with all the action. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so the activity in the options world for Facebook was kind of missed with bear, mixed today with bearish bets outpacing bullish ones. But the trade that sort of caught my eye was actually the June 105 put. Somebody bought 1,000 of those, paid $3.22 for them. And so that would be a bet that the weakness in Facebook could continue and it could be sharply lower in about six months' time. And we have seen implied volatility hold up in this name. There hasn't really been a turnaround in sentiment. And even though the market traded well today, the options market didn't really see a bounce back for Facebook coming anytime soon. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. Mike Cohen, San Francisco. For more options action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast. You know what Pete listens to while he's waiting in line at the bank? <laughs> Celine Dion. Oh, no. He's all by himself on this page. 75% of Twitter fans voting no on U.S. Bancorp. You know what? I hate Brutal. to tell them, but they're wrong. Oh, sorry, man. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> laughing with you. I had a bunch of negative guys coming at me on Twitter about this thing, yeah. the whole thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I voted before the whole thing. All right. I mean, yeah. Come on, guys. So what's your final trade, Pete? Today is Giving Tuesday, by the way. Twin Cities Lime Foundation. Keep an eye on that thing. CoinUpApp.com. Keep an eye on that. How about this one? U.S. Bank. That pitch, this thing's going higher. Tim. All right, go, go first. Look, if Peter picked Apple, I bet people would have owned that one. Darn Apple right. is my final yeah, trade. BK. You know, we're going to be playing for a trade war relief. XLI, the industrials, that's where you want to be. Nice. Mentioned one of the retailers yesterday. JW Nordstrom has the rack. JW and rack. That was there yesterday. All right, that's it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.